Well, grab your Bibles, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got them on the back wall because you're going to need them. I'm not going to put a lot of Scripture on the screen today, but we're going to read through a couple chapters. And so you're going to follow along best you can. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and get one. And while you're getting one, I'll, I'll ask you this simple question. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? If we were to sit down across from each other and say, hey, what's your favorite holiday? What would your answer be? Would it be Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's, Fourth of July? Or maybe it's your birthday. Maybe that's your favorite holiday. Everybody likes that one, right? The coming of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus, which one's more important, Christmas or Easter? Now, if I were to ask you that question, how would you answer it? That's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You're like, well, so which one? Christmas, the coming of Jesus, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. How about we say they're both incredibly valuable to our foundation of our faith and not argue about which one's better? Which one's more important? They are both crucial to the faith of that of a Christian. God the Father sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth in the flesh, Christmas, to save us, Easter. And each holiday is it's worth celebrating. Decorations, traditions, songs, whatever it may be, we pull them out a lot and we, we go gung-ho, right? It's like, yes, let's do this. But I thought about there's another Christian holiday in which we don't sing about. Well, at least I don't think we do. Nobody really gets dressed up and sends out cards or anything. Matter of fact, I went back and I archived all my messages I preached over the years. And I tried to see, have I ever preached really on this holiday? Have I given it ample time to like, hey, did you know about this holiday? And I, can't, I couldn't find anything. I, I looked everywhere and yet it's one of the most important moments in our faith as Christians. So what special holiday is it that I'm talking about? Because it's today. Pentecost. Did you know that? Today is Pentecost. And you're like, all right. What's Pentecost? I didn't think we were this um, charismatic type church. It gets all Pentecostal, right? So what's Pentecost? Why would we celebrate it? What's that all about? Let me, let me give you the best I can, summarize it, because there's, there's a lot to it, so I'll just try to give you the cliff notes to this. If you go back and you read the Old Testament, and you start searching, you discover that Pentecost was one of the Jewish feast days. There was a lot of festivals and feast days, only they didn't call it Pentecost. That was the Greek word for it. In Old Testament, in Hebrew, the Jews call it the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of the Weeks. It's mentioned in five different places for sure that we know of. In um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five different places in those four books. But in Pentecost, here's what you need to understand. There's, there's two harvests each year. The early harvest came during the months of May and June. The final harvest comes in the fall. Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest. Now, according to the Old Testament, you go to that day of celebration of first fruits, which was the beginning of the hardy uh, harvest. In the beginning of that day, you count 50 days forward. On the 50th day, that would be the day of Pentecost. So first fruits is the beginning of the, of the and I said hardly, I meant barley uh, harvest. And then Pentecost is the celebration and the beginning of the wheat harvest. Now, 50 days comes out to about seven weeks. So it got the name, the Weeks of Weeks Festival. So the Feast of Weeks. 
Like I said, it can get rather confusing. There's a lot more to it. I'm trying to sum it up best I could. But when it came down to it, basically Pentecost was a time in which the people of God were celebrating a harvest. So Jerusalem was filled with thousands upon thousands of more people than would normally be in that city. It was a grand celebration. People came from all directions. Matter of fact, according to Jewish law, all adult Jewish men were required to be in Jerusalem for the celebration. No work, no school, just one big party. Let's all come in and celebrate the harvest. God is good. Look what he's provided. Let's celebrate this. So that was Pentecost. And if you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1, that's where we're going to be in Acts 1 and 2. We're going, to, we're going to read about what happened on Pentecost. When all these people were in Jerusalem, the streets were crowded, and there's, and there's basically a big celebration. And right before that, just a few days before that, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, Pastor Paul sort of hit on some of this last week. Jesus ascends into heaven, but as he goes into heaven, he reminds everybody, he goes, guys, remember during my earthly ministry here, I promised you the Holy Spirit. I would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, but I'm sending my Spirit back to earth to be with each and every one of you until I come back. I'm not telling you when I'm coming back, but when I, I will. But in the meantime, you've got the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 2, it says, On the day of Pentecost, it says the believers were meeting together in one place and everybody was filled with the Spirit. So we'll get a little bit more into that, but here's what I want you to know. Christians observe Pentecost as a holiday. Next, you know, not to celebrate a wheat harvest like they originally did, but to celebrate now the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. This is basically a marker in history in which many people would say, they look back at this moment and say, this is when the church was born. So church, we could bring in a bunch of cakes and like 2,000 candles plus and light this place up but there'd probably be a fire hazard, right? But this is, what it's like, this is what today is about, Pentecost. And like I said, a lot of times we don't talk about it. Why is that? Because sometimes people relate Pentecost with maybe a certain denomination. Or it gets confusing about where does this fit in with the Christian faith? Or is this for everybody? It can be somewhat confusing. But I want you to know it's, it's a day in which we as Christians should look at and celebrate when the Holy Spirit just like when Christ came as a baby, the Holy Spirit came. And now amongst the believers, we see how this works. That's what we're going to be looking at today. In your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, we're going to read together. So let's look at chapter 1. Luke is the author of this book. He basically picks up where he left off in the book of Luke, continues in Acts. Like, here's the life of Jesus. Here's the life of Jesus. Now let's roll right into this and what's going to happen after Jesus ascends. He's going to tell us everything about Jesus. Look at verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died... He appeared to the apostles from time to time. So there's 40 days in which Jesus was appearing multiple times eyewitnesses, right? Now remember, the Pentecost is 50 days. So there's going to be another 10 days where Jesus is absent. During the 40 days he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before, which is going to be the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. When the apostles were with, the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. So if you ever have that question, hey, when's Jesus coming back? We don't know. Jesus even tells his disciples, that's for the Father to know, not you. But you will, here's what you will do, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. Can you sort of imagine that? Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. And he starts going up and the disciples are like, hey, there he goes. He's ascending, just like he told us he was going to do, right? And they keep watching. Look at verse 11. They're straining their eyes to see as he goes in heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Jesus went up. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but it's been promised he will return. So after this takes place, the disciples are like, okay, we're watching, we're watching. Then these angels show up. They're like, what are you doing standing around? Go. Go back to Jerusalem. You were told to go there and wait. All right. So they go back. They get in the upper room. There's, it's not just the 11 disciples. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's other women. There's other believers in there. And like, you know what? There was 12 of us disciples. Judas is gone. We need to pick one. Two men are nominated. One is chosen. And that was Matthias. Look at chapter 2. They're all up in that room. On the day of Pentecost, here we are, big holiday, harvest, weeks of weeks, the feast, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. Jerusalem, thousands are in there. They're in the upper room. They've been waiting. It's been 10 days. And this is what happens. They're meeting in one place, verse 2. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. People from all over Galilee, yet they heard their own languages. And then you see a list of all these nations, all these places that people are from. They were there present. And now they're hearing in their language from these disciples who never spoke those languages before the gospel being presented. Look at verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed, what can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, ha, they're just drunk, that's all. They're... They don't have no clue what that guy over there is saying, right? So here's the incredible thing. The Holy Spirit comes, and all of a sudden they start speaking in foreign languages. Now, Matt Chandler is a pastor, and I was listening to some of what he had to say about the book of Acts. And he said, when you read scriptures, you have to understand sometimes scriptures prescribed and described, meaning 
As you read through, it's prescribed what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be obedient to. Other scripture, as you read, is described. It's descriptive. It's, his, it's historical. So as you're reading this, this is a moment in history. A lot of times as people read Acts chapter 1 and 2, they're like, the church is supposed to be doing this. Sometimes when you read through scripture, understand the church is being described here and what happened, what took place. In this moment, it says that the disciples were all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're speaking a new language that was understood by somebody of a foreign country sitting across the room or out in the crowd. So if that were to take place here this morning and here, like what happened? Let's say there's people in here that speak French and Spanish, um, English, whatever, you know, multiple languages in here, okay? And I have no idea how to speak French. All I know is parlez vous français. That's it. Which I think means, do you speak French? Did I, anybody know? I, is that correct? Yeah? Okay, good. That's all I know. But what if I started sharing John 3, 16, the gospel, in French? And it's like, Rex doesn't know French. But the Holy Spirit comes upon me. All of a sudden, I'm speaking French. And then somebody up here, another, maybe one of our elders, or one of the leaders, or somebody else in our church, stands up. And they, who they've never spoken a lick of Spanish before in their life, stands up and like starts in Spanish sharing the gospel. And then somebody over here in German gets up. And they're in German. And there's other people over here. It's like, I speak German. You don't. But I understand everything you're saying. And all of a sudden, it's like all these people are hearing these various languages. And it's like, Wow. This is incredible. This is the amazing thing that's happening, right? And that's what's happening here. This passage describes an amazing point in history. This is when, like we say, the church was born. Because all of a sudden, these people, as they left, they go out. Because you think about this. If there's people in this room that have speak foreign languages, and you have no idea what I'm saying, but all of a sudden, I speak your language, and I share the gospel with you, and now you leave these doors, and you go back home to your, your nation, your country, and you're able to share what I just shared, and I couldn't share it before, but through the Holy Spirit I am now. Do you see how the church all of a sudden was regenerated and born? It's an incredible moment in history, right? Peter corrects the crowds because they're like, oh, he's drunk. He's like, no, no, I'm not filled with alcohol. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, here's this uneducated fisherman filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches this one of the most incredible messages ever. Matter of fact, we're going to skip forward through it, get right to the very end, verse 36. He wraps up this powerful message by saying, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. His words pierced their hearts. And they asked him and the other disciples, brothers, what should we do? They just heard about Jesus who loved them, died on the cross, was crucified. And they're like, what, what do we do to be saved? Peter replied, each and every one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you to your children and to those far away, all have been called by the Lord our God. That includes you and I, church. Do you know that? That's right there. This promise spoken, verse 39, is for you. Look at verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter were baptized and added to the church that day were about 3,000 in all. Man, can you imagine a revival like that, a moment like that in history where, the, where this uneducated guy gets up in front and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he just tells you who Jesus is. And next thing you know, 3,000 people are just weeping and saying, I'm repenting. 
I'm asking Jesus to save me. Forgive me of my sins. Can you imagine a moment like that in history? That's Pentecost. That's what happened on that day. They can't save themselves. They know it. They know they stand guilty before a holy God. Our sins, our mistakes, our failures before a holy God need to be corrected, need to be forgiven. And they know they can't do it. So they, they, they cry out. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we receive God's approval not by anything we do, but by faith in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We've all sinned. We all have. We've all blown it. We're all guilty. Absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. We have no power within us to save ourselves. We are like stuck in the clutches of sin. No way to be rescued. I love what Romans 5.8 says because it says we were basically utterly helpless. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were utterly helpless. We're drowning in sin. Nothing can save us. And God says, I love you so much, I will save you. Now, this is the work of God. And as I was preparing for this, there was a, there was a, a hymn H-Y-M-N, right? Not H-I-M. A hymn going through my mind. And I'm sitting there going, man, I remember that old song I sang in church. Not sang it in years. At least I can't remember. And so I, I pulled it up and listened to it. And I want to play it for you and see if you remember the song. sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me now safe am I oh and love lifted me love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me oh and love lifted me you guys remember that? and if you ever sang this before you're like love lifted me even me. You know, you're like sort of coming in there. And in our church, when we sang that last song, it was like at the very end, it's like, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. You know, we had to carry it out. You know, I was like, yeah. And it was like, and I was like, you know how many times I sang that as a teenager and I had no clue what that song meant. No clue whatsoever. And even as an adult, I was like, and then holding the hymn, like, oh, lifted me. You know, and I'm sitting there going, you know what, that song? That was, I wonder if, I wonder if Peter preached that on that, 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 that day. Because Peter was the one drowning and sinking in the sea. And Jesus reached down and love lifted him up and saved him. And now he's looking out at all these people who were dying in their sin. And he's like reaching out to them and saying, there's a God who loves you. And he's reaching out. You are utterly helpless, but God showed you his love. And he is lifting you out. And you're like, yeah, love lifted me. And I was looking at and just meditating on that song. And I was thinking, I wonder if it was something like that. 
Because that day they heard the gospel, which we know is basically John 3, 16, which is this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but we will have what? Eternal life. Don't stop there. Look at verse 17. For God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, what? But to save the world through him. Jesus goes, I want to save you. And that's the message Peter gave that day. And over 3,000 said, I want to be saved. I want to be rescued. I want to be lifted up. Romans 5, 5 says, for we know that how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So God says, I promise you when I saved you, I'm also going to give you my spirit. You are now filled with my spirit to guide you, to lead you into all truth. Salvation, it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't steal it. You can't take it. It's a gift given to you by an almighty, holy God. And that's what caused the people to cry out, it says in Scripture, to Peter. What must we do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one of the first things, or I want to say one of the next things that happened right after they repented, here's, where, here's the part I want you to hear, because this is where we're at right here, church, okay? I'd like to believe that everybody in here has cried out and said, God, rescue me, save me. You've, you've prayed, you've confessed your sins to a holy God, and you're like, okay, so now what? Now what as a church? Look at verse 40, 42. It says that all the believers were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold the property, possession. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to fellowship those who were being saved. Oh, 3,000 today, more tomorrow, and more the next day, and more the next day. Because you know why the church did? The church was like, you know what, we're going to be witnesses. We're going to meet together. We're going to pray together. We're going to share together. You're in need. I've got stuff I can give you. I'm in need. You've got stuff you can give. And they, that's the church functioned together. Now I want to make some quick observations going Back to chapter 1. Here's the first thing. The, the disciples were like this. They, they, had, they had to be corrected before they got to this point. They said, is it now, Jesus, is it now time you're going to restore the Davidic kingdom? You're going to restore Israel? And they're referring to an actual place in Israel. They're like, you're going to build a big castle with thick walls and soldiers and fortified Are you doing that, Jesus? You're building this new kingdom? And, they, and I love how they said this. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Oh, Israel. So ethnically, we're just focusing on one people group. Are we just going to focus maybe just on the Jews? And Jesus like, mm, okay, let me, let me help you on this, okay? No, this is going to be a new kingdom, and it's going to be for everyone. John will write about it later. He's going to talk to you about a new kingdom and a new earth, and, which we talked about the last couple of weeks, right? And it's going to be for everyone who believes. And they're, then they're like, well, when's it going to happen? He's like, that's not your job. Church, our job is not to know when he's coming back. A lot of us get fixated on when's Jesus come back? When's Jesus come back? I don't know. I look forward to it. But we don't know the dates. What is our job? This is what he tells them. It's your job to stop standing and looking up the sky waiting for him. It's your job to be a witness. That's our job. 
Our job is to be a witness to this world. We are to be witnessing. If we're not witnessing, we are not obeying. If we're not obeying, that means we're disobeying. Christians can be world changers. You hear that probably at every graduation. You can go out and you can change the world, right? And we do. We need world changers. We need Christians to stand up and take positions of leadership when possible. Does that mean do we need Christians in our government? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need people in position where they can say something, where they can maybe help. But let me clarify something. Politics do not change morality. Okay? Hearts are not governed by constitution and reform laws. Only the Holy Spirit penetrating the mind and the heart of mankind will change us. I don't like it that our world is very violent right now, and I know you don't either. You turn on news and you see one shooting, one act of violence after another, and it just seems like it's out of control. And here's the thing. It will not change by a documented piece of paper. That won't change it. The only thing that's going to change this is going to be God at work, working through mankind as His Holy Spirit penetrates the minds and the hearts of His believers. Through the morality, that's where. And it's the Spirit of God that will be doing it. So it's like, well, then how can we be agents for God? How can we help change the world? How can we be His witnesses? Go back to Scripture. Remember Matthew chapter 28? All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. All power has been given to Jesus Christ. Then look what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about us, me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Church, you want to know how you're going to be a witness? Because the Holy Spirit that comes upon you empowers you to do this. You may remember the Nobel Peace Prize was invented by uh, Alfred Nobel. When he, dis, when he created what he created, he needed a name for it. He went to the French and was looking and, and he asked them different languages. He found this Greek word, dynamis. Dynamis is, if you look at it, spelled out, it looks like dynamite. That was his invention, by the way, that got him the prize. Dynamite. That Greek word, di- dynamis, is the word that's used here for power. God's Holy Spirit power is powerful like dynamite. It's explosive. He said this, you will be my witnesses. The English word wit means to know. And so a knowledgeable person, we say they have their wit. Or somebody that's very knowledgeable, we say, well, they're very witty or they're, they're smart or something like that. But a witness is basically somebody who knows something and then they testify to it. The disciples, they knew that the resurrection was real. They saw it. They knew what was true. And so they went out, not by force, but by testimony, telling people what they knew. And it's our spiritual witness that's the game changer. It's not a written law. It's not a policy like, well, if we get this figured out here, everything will change. No, it won't. Not unless the Holy Spirit empowers us and the morals change and our lives change, our hearts change, our minds change, our emotions change. And we're to be, do you see where we're supposed to be witnesses? We're supposed to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria, and then the other most parts of the world. It's like a ripple effect. You throw the the rock in the pond and it creates a ripple. You know what I'm talking about, church? So here's the thing. In 2004, I'm at a conference in in Chicago. I just told the church I was resigning. I I I, I know God's calling me not to be the youth pastor anymore. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but I still had a team of youth leaders and a youth group that I was still leading for the next few months. 
And we went with the youth leaders and we went to this conference. I'm sitting there in a conference. I can remember where I, exactly where I was sitting in this balcony of his auditorium of about 3,000. I know where I'm sitting and I'm listening to the speaker. And I remember that as he talked, like God was saying, Rex, and then I remember this vision like the ripples. And it's like, this is going to be what I see for you doing. You're going to do something that's going to do a ripple effect. So I thought hard about this, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my Jerusalem is True North Church. Church, this is my Jerusalem. God's called me here to preach to you. But then God's also given me the opportunity to serve under the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So outside of my Jerusalem, True North Church, is my Judea and Samaria, the seven counties that I serve under for FCA. And then beyond that is the other most parts of the world. Globally, what am I doing? Yeah, I've been on a lot of mission trips to the DR, but lately what have I been doing? A lot of you know I write a lot of devotions. FCA publishes a lot of my devotions. My friend uh, Losh Yokoma from Ukraine that I've asked you to pray for, um, he's safely here in the United States right now. A few years ago we got together and he, he handed me this book. This is the devotional book, but it's written in Russian. And he came up to me, and I apologize for anybody that's got any kind of Ukraine or Russian background because this accent is horrible. But he's like, Rex, Rex, you got to see this. And I was like, what? He's like, check this out. This is the devotional book. This is you. This is your name right here. Did you wrote this one? And this one? And then he's going through and I'm looking at him going, yeah. I have no clue. I don't read Russian. So I had no idea. But then it hit me. It's like, I don't read it. But across the world, people are reading things that I write about Jesus as well as many other authors and people that, that were in this book. And then I'm like, it sort of concluded that piece of the puzzle that's like God has given me. It's like True North, FCA, and to the most parts of the world. But for you, what is it? I don't know. For some of you, like, but I don't write devotions, or I, I don't, but here's the thing. If you put money in that offering box back there, we take a portion of every offering that's given, and we give to missions. So if you're in here and you've put money in that offering box, you are supporting global missions. A lot of our missionaries overseas. So you are a part of the other most parts of the world. And maybe you'll go on a mission trip someday if you haven't already, and you will be a part of that outermost circle. But for right now, your Jerusalem might be your home. And your Judea and Samaria might be your school or your workplace. And your other most parts of the world might be your next place that God takes you in your season of life. But God calls us to be witnesses in all of those places. And he doesn't want us to do it alone. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 basically says that they joined together in constantly. They were praying together. And here's the thing. People need people. We were created for relationships. And I said back in when COVID first came a couple years ago, I said, I really believe that was straight from the devil. I really do. Because it isolated us. It took away purpose as we were unemployed. And, and that's the first thing God gave Adam and Eve purpose and relationship. And that was the first thing that got stripped of us from COVID. And, and it's important that we gather together. It's important that we meet. It's important that we talk. It's important that we pray together. And I was thinking about this for, for our college students. We just had graduates Sunday last week. We have all, a lot of these students who are like, I'm going off to college. Some people aren't going to college. They're going off maybe into the armed forces. Some people are going to be sticking around here. Listen, if any of you in this room are going off to college, or maybe you're back from college, but you'll be going back, you need to get plugged into a church or a Christian group, period. If you aren't, your faith is drowning. You need to find a way to get plugged in to keep growing in your faith because community is so huge when it comes to faith. And for those that are of college age or young adults in here, and it's like, 
Well, I'm going to Northwest State or I'm not going to college. I'm going into the workforce. I don't have anybody to plug in with. Then we need to get something going for you. And if you're like, I want to be part of a small group here, college age, whatever, email me, text me, come talk to me. There's some in first service like, yeah, man. Let me know that you're interested. We, we need to have make sure you are getting plugged in here. It's important for you. What were they praying about? I have no idea what they, but they joined, they prayed. What do you pray with each other about? For them, they were they praying, God, we adore you. We love you. We thank you so much. We confess our sins to you. Some of us disciples, well, all of the disciples in the garden ran. Father, forgive us for when we ran when Jesus was arrested. Maybe they're saying, thank you. Thank you for your son dying on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for new life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that has invaded my heart right now, and I'm just speaking away. And maybe they were praying for needs. Give me the courage, the boldness, the strength to be witnesses wherever I go. But they prayed together. A time of waiting, obeying, gathering, praying, studying. They were all together. That's what I want you to see here at Pentecost. The believers were together, sharing, praying, giving. Did you see that? John Orberg tells of a story of, of a friend of his that made a trip down south, got down to Georgia, went into a restaurant, never been in the south before, goes in this restaurant, and he said everything on the menu came with grits. Okay? If you've ever been down south, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you made it maybe to Cracker Barrel in Indiana, you get grits. Okay? So here's the thing. This guy had no clue what grits were. So he looked at the waitress. The waitress comes up and he goes, ma'am, what's a grit? <laughs> she looked at him and with a little southern accent, she's like, honey, sugar? Because they always call you sugar, right? It ain't grit. It's grits. And they come together. You can't get one grit by itself. <laughs> and then quickly he was corrected, right? But that's the whole point with grits. They come together. They come together. Community, that's how we grow. That's how we protect. That's how we heal. That's how we express love. We need each other. And it's demonstrated in the church. There are practical ways. And I mean, that's why we're doing the picnic at the park next to that. Because we want you to connect. There's a lot of new people in our church. We want you to connect with each other. I know it's awkward. Hi, hi I don't know you. Get over it. We're all in that boat together, okay? And that's okay. It's like, oh, I met you last year. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's all right. Get to know each other. I know we're just wrapping up a lot of our small groups and Bible studies, and we'll kick more off in the fall. Youth group. You know, right now, we just met with our youth leaders. Pastor Paul has resigned, as you all know. Matter of fact, when church service is over, he's out there. Um, just, this is your opportunity to tell Paul and Katie, thank you for faithfully serving in our church for the past three plus years. And I'm thankful that Paul and Katie were serving here. We wish them well. We pray for them on their next journey. And some of you youth kids, you might be saying, well, what's next? We've met with a lot of our youth leaders already. They're geared up. They already got some great ideas for next summer or for this summer and for next fall. We're not going to miss a beat with you because we know the value and the importance of the youth in this church. And if you're like, well, do we have to wait till next fall? No, listen, when I say go be the church, you know what that means falls underneath that umbrella? That means if you're out at the ballpark or you want to grill out at your house, you want people to meet people, go meet them. You don't need a program to start at this church to meet people. Because a lot of times it's like, well, we didn't have that program, so we can't go meet them. I get that. I understand that. And that's okay. But you don't have to wait for anything to get kicked off before you go meet somebody and pray with them, eat with them, get to know them. This world is not a friendly place, is it? The world, uh, as we know, is really uh, anti-God. Therefore, as a church... 
as a church, we need to be witnesses for God. We need to be louder than we've been. We need to, not in, not in an annoying way, but in a powerful, loving way. That lets the world know that we are witnesses to a living Savior. When I thought about what, what's my vision for this church, let me tell you something. Let me rewind back. We're going to wrap this up. 15 years ago, what was my vision for this church? What was I thinking? Did I envision this? No, not at all. I had no clue we would be in this building. I had no clue we would have over 300 members, over five, 600 people who call this their church, that we'd have this many salvations, baptisms, opportunities for people to grow. I didn't know we'd have a food pantry. We were going to be feeding hungry. I didn't, I didn't have any. All I wanted to do was preach the word. My goal was get more people in heaven than are in hell. That's all I want. Let's get as many people to heaven. I just want to preach the word. That was my vision. Lo and behold, 15 years later, here we are. We are blessed with the church family. We're blessed with the building. We're like maybe two years or less away from paying off this building. And then we want to put another wing out here to the side so that we have actual classrooms for kids so they're not meeting in the kitchen or in a hallway on Wednesday nights. We want to continue to grow spiritually. We want to cultivate our faith. That's where we are right now. My vision was very simple. It was just love God, love others, and I just want to be the church. It was, it was really simple. Worship team, would you come forward? But listen very carefully. It was simple. I wanted to be the church. But to be the church, we, know, we need to know who the church is. Does that make sense? It's like, I want to be the church. What's the church? I don't know. Well, a couple thousand years ago, the church was born. And the church worked together in community and prayer and worship and giving and eating and they grew together and they shared the gospel. And today is Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. Seven weeks ago was Easter. The day in which we remember today the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descended upon mankind and empowers us, church, to be the church. And it begins maybe with just looking in the mirror and simply saying, God, begin with me. Begin with me. Start here in my heart. Maybe it starts with repentance. If you've not repented, you need to repent. If you have repented and you're a child of God, then the next thing is, what do you want me to do? How can I be your witness? What is my Jerusalem? What is my Judea and Samaria? What is my uttermost parts of the world? Ask God to reveal that to you and to show you. And then don't be silent any longer. Stand together with your church family. Let's be a witness for our Lord. Amen? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather here to learn about what took place a couple thousand years ago. You told the disciples to go, to wait, to pray, and they did. And 10 days later, your spirit came upon them. Your power came upon them. And they were witnesses like never before. And the church was born and there was incredible unity and community. And they weren't perfect. I, I, God, I believe sometimes we look at Acts chapter 2 and we think that was the perfect church. But they weren't. They were imperfect people just pursuing a perfect God. That's us today. We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And we're going to mess up at times. But God, in the process, we pray that your Holy Spirit empowers us to be your witnesses. Help us, Lord to be loving to those who need love. Help us to be forgiving to those who need forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to help those that need help, whether it's financially, whether it's food, whether it's just counsel. Maybe we just need to sit by somebody and say, I'm here for you. Whatever it is, God, enlighten us, show us 
how we can be your witness, how we can be a church, how we can serve together, Lord. This world needs more of you. And the only way they're gonna see you is through us being obedient. So Lord, help us to reflect you, the most awesome, perfect God. In thy name we pray, amen.